What's up, Freedom Chasers? If you have been having problems with contractors, we have the solution for you. If you live in Chicago, we are going to dive into GC technology here and the Uber of general contracting. And we're going to get into that right now. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Meet Jonathan Clem, founder at Quality Builders in Chicago, the Uber of general contracting. Jonathan is also a real estate investor as well as a managing broker. Jonathan, we are super stoked to have you here today. Uh, let's just kick it off with a broad strokes overview of what Quality Builders is, and then we'll dive deeper into it. Super pumped and happy to be here. Like I told you, it's uh, the best Tuesday I've had so far in my life, and plan on having the best Wednesday tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate it. Our intro is is perfect because you know everyone thinks Uber, uh, massively big travel company. And we're kind of in the same space, but from a general contractor perspective. Uh, very specifically, we only work primarily with real estate investors like yourself, Tim. And then we match those investors with subcontractors. And so you can think of Uber, you know, they have a rider and a driver. That rider has a place that they need to get to. They've agreed on a price. Well, we're kind of accomplishing the same thing. And through our contractors. So we have subcontractors, electricians, plumbers, uh, HVAC technicians that all have a certain length of a job. And we, you know, basically match them from job to job to job and, you know, kind of work that teeter totter up as it goes, just like the chicken and egg game. So as we get more clients, we need more subs. So we get more subs, we need more clients. So just curious, how does this work? Is it an app like Uber? Uber, excuse me, or is it something else? Like, just give me the concept in general. Yeah, high level view will definitely be uh, moving towards an app in the future. Uh, right now, uh, we we use a project management software, and so you know it's a it's a web based software where all of our clients can sign in, um, and they get daily reports um, that they can sign in and see. And then at the beginning of every job, uh, we start with a full detailed schedule of every activity that's coming onto the job now where we really kind of see the disruption on our side. And so, so that project management software, you know, that's already out there. We're not reinventing the wheel there. Uh, you know, my team and I, we're used to using that because uh, we come from uh, mega large construction. And so that type of software is out there. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Like I said, uh, what we really are trying to do is really disrupt the front end part of that, which is the estimating side. And so currently we're in the process of building out that technology where, Tim, you can log on to our website and you would select, you have a three unit building, you have X number of square feet per floor, X number of, you know, two bathrooms, three kitchens, and, you know, out pops an estimate uh, within a matter of minutes of you putting those parameters in there. Now, in the future, like you said, we'd love to get to the point and we will get to the point where we have an app based product. And, you know, there's already some cool stuff out there where you can, where you can use LIDAR to measure the rooms. And so just imagine you're walking around 
with your phone measuring a room. And then we have all that backend data that we've collected to provide you an instantaneous estimate. As an investor, you know, that's usually one of the biggest pain points is figuring out how much your rehab is going to cost. So how accurate is this estimate? Are you zeroing in on it? You're saying this estimate is going to be the price or do you have any fluctuations there? Yeah, yeah. It's never going to be the exact price in, in construction. The, the two things I always talk about is it's usually going to cost more. And so it's usually going to take longer than we expect at the beginning of the project. That's just the nature of what we're doing, working in an unknown. And, but, you know, as time goes on, all of those numbers get tighter and tighter and tighter because we're able to recycle that data and kind of follow that build, measure, learn cycle and create a tighter estimate as we go along. So initially, you know, when you log into that website, you might get a range of, you know, call it 15 to 20%. And that's going to also depend on the accuracy of that investor's scope of work, which is probably the thing that most people aren't thinking about is, the more detailed that scope of work is, the more accurate the estimate is. But, you know, I would say a lot of investors just even have trouble grasping the concept of what is the scope of work that needs to be done on the project. I'm not sure if this is what you're getting at. So does your estimate try to include, say, potential plumbing leaks and things of that nature? Because it sounds like you might be trying to offset things before they happen, but I might be not following you correctly. We're more of on a big scale uh, project. Uh, so you think gut rehabs, our minimum project size is probably 75,000. And so we're, we, we don't want to do anything with maintenance. We actually want to rip everything out of, off the walls and put everything back. And so, um, really it's more on a larger scale gut renovations, you know, two to four unit buildings, which here in Chicago, uh, we have no shortage of those. And so, you know, we're really looking to get in that multifamily apartment space. So you're doing the gut rehab. So, yeah, I mean, if they measure correctly and as long as they get the scope of work correctly, it seems fairly reasonable that you get the, the estimate fairly accurate. Um, makes a lot of sense, especially as you're gathering more data, you could use that data. So, I mean, I'm, I'm loving that you're recycling that information. So I'm curious, like, where are you finding the contractors and how are you vetting the contractors? Yeah, really... Good question and really tough task. Um, contractor, <laughs> contractors are few and far between. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like any other sales funnel, right? You know, we, we put a lot of them in the funnel. We set up our own vetting process of, you know, starting with, you know, checking online uh, for some type of online presence. Uh, we usually do kind of a, a consultation call with them. And then probably like the biggest uh, vetting we use is actually going to project sites and really kind of seeing what they have going on at their job sites. That's a pretty good indicator on, on what type of person you're dealing with. Uh, but to be honest, you know, we get burned, you know, just like any other person does. And for us, we're really about building those relationships, letting them know what we're trying to do and how we're trying to help them. I think that's one of the things I love about what we're doing is, you know, we get to help investors on the one side, which, you know, most investors are looking to make money, money equals time, time equals freedom. And so on the other side of our marketplace, we have subcontractors. And to be honest, you know, the trades are probably one of the, you know, most under underappreciated industries we have in our country and around the world, you know, the guys swinging a hammer and twisting the wrenches. And most of them who have started their business have kind of fallen into it by happenstance. You know, they didn't go get their MBA to be to open up a plumbing 
business. They did a good job. They do quality work. And then they've slowly grown over time. But they've never really been taught how to run a business. And there's, you know, multiple aspects of a business besides that operational component. And so we're trying to really assist them and allow them to work on their business and not in their business. And so when we can basically handle all the sales, all the marketing, all the estimating, you know, all these things, all the scheduling, uh, you know, all these things that are typically, you know, burdensome for uh, your typical subcontractor, when we can take all those away and like help them scale their business by just giving them the work, you know, most of them enjoy what they're doing, enjoy using their hands. And they just don't want to have to deal with all the BS paperwork that comes along with running a business. What happens if a, if a job goes wrong? Let's say you connect a investor with an electrician. He doesn't show up or maybe he even does something terrible. Like what happens in that situation? Just like Uber, we're ultimately responsible. You know, we're taking full ownership of every project that we handle. And if we need to get another sub out there, you know, we're going to take the steps and to, to correct it and, and do right by any of our clients, you know, you know, hopefully we don't have that issue because we've done a good enough job vetting our subs and staying on top of them. And, you know, we have on-site project managers, but at the end of the day, you know, in construction, it, it's, it's not a matter of, of if it's a matter of when you get sued, you know, I've worked in the industry long enough that it's just a matter of time before, you know, someone's coming after the the company with the biggest pockets, and, and typically it's a general contract. Okay, so you've been doing this for quite some time. I'm sure you have some crazy stories. If I ask you for a crazy story, what's the first thing that comes to mind? So, I mean, personally, I'm an, I'm an investor too, like you said. And so one of the <laughs> one of the things I've been really good at is is being in that scarcity mindset and trying to do things um, the cheap and easy way, opposed to you know, paying a qualified contractor what they're worth to go and do the job. On uh, my second project here in Chicago is a two-unit flat in in Bucktown area. It was one of those where I'm trying to do everything myself, not wanting to uh, hire the right people. I got a referral, you know, rock stars, no rock stars. Uh, So I got a referral from our HVAC sub for an electrician. Well, and I, then I actually went and did some Google searches, found another electrician. Well, the electrician I found ended up being dude, something insignificant, like $2,000, $1,500 cheaper, you know, pennies on the dollar in, in retrospect. And, uh, you know, I went I went with the cheaper sub. He had all these nice Google reviews and, and everything looked like it was going to be great. And, you know, come towards the end of the job, all of a sudden he's asking for more money, more money. And, you know, the scope of work was clear. Uh, but it was more work than, you know, he had put in his estimate. And so he had to actually install a new service for our electrical to upgrade it from 100 amp to 200 amp. He installs it. Uh, the next day after he installs it, um, I come to the property and the service pole is gone. <laughs> and and he claims he claims someone stole it off the off the side of the house after it got put up and, you know, maybe it did. Um, but you know, honest to God, I mean, all signs point to, you know, him taking it down and refusing to put another one up. And so I was willing to pay uh, him more money. 
And that's just, you know, one of the many, many, many stories um, of me being in that scarcity mindset where I'm thinking I'm saving myself money. But one of my favorite little phrases is it's cheap to be or it's expensive to be cheap, you know, and too often I've found myself, you know, in my past where it's like I'm trying to take the cheap or easy way out. And it always costs me more, whether it's time or actual money. And that's one of the big shifts I've just personally made is just getting out of that scarcity mindset and really focusing on abundance, and which has been a huge factor on helping us grow and create a culture that you know our team hopefully loves to be a part of. That's awesome, man. So let's talk about the team. Do you have preferred vendors? I mean, you have to, to some degree. Are you rating your subcontractors? Do you have some sort of rating system so that people get prioritized based on their workload? Or is there something like that going on? Yeah, after every project, we, we go through and, and kind of do, you know, almost like a 360 review where, you know, they're giving us their feedback on how it was working with us. And then we're giving them feedback on how it was working with them. And, you know, just, just like, just like Uber or Lyft, you know, that data gets recycled, they get four and a half stars. And, you know, eventually when there's, you know, hundreds and even thousands of subcontractors on the platform, then, you know, you get a higher rating, you get more jobs and you get more money. So yeah, that's all, you know, part of the process and the system as we grow. Very cool. So that is very similar to Uber then. So you're incentivizing the contractors to do a good job because if they do a good job, they're going to get more work. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's the way life works. <laughs> to be honest, we do a good job. Um, you know, we usually get, get more of what we want and, and, and establish good relationships. And, you know, I've just found myself the, the more open, transparent, uh, vulnerable I can be. You know, we're all going through the same things in life. Uh, sometimes we just don't want to tell everyone what's going on. And so the more transparent we can be, that's one of our core values is 100% visibility is, you know, we don't want to hide anything from either our clients or our subcontractors. You know, we want all the feedback, good or bad, so that we can learn and and do a better job than I can. Absolutely. So what other features does this system offer that we might not have touched upon yet? I mean, one of the bigger things is just kind of the aspect of really detailing out the finished material at the beginning of every job. And so we set up a detailed finished schedule, which is essentially just a spreadsheet, for lack of better words, of every item you have on that project. So you think, you know, all of your faucets, all of your light fixtures, all the flooring, all the tile, all of those uh, potential items that are going to go in and, and finish your project. And we have that list detailed out you know, with very specific lead times and costs. So, you know, there's no surprises about how long a light fixture is going to take to get to the job because we've established how long that lead time is and are really able to eliminate, you know, schedule delays because of, you know, delivery um, delivery coming in late. Very cool. Anything else about this software that you'd like to discuss before we start talking about Jonathan Clem a little bit more? No, I don't think so. I mean, the cool part about what we're doing is, you know, we've started out more as an operational company. And I think, you know, most tech companies start out as a tech company, build technology so that they can scale and raise a bunch of money and, and then kind of shift into more of an operational company where we're able to start as an operational company, become cash flow positive, not have to raise a bunch of money, uh, dilute our own equity, and then 
we're able to add technology on top of that. So a lot of the stuff we're working on is stuff we're actively building, but you know, we're not in a rush because we're not in a cash pinch because we raise a bunch of money. So cool. Like, let's talk about mindset, Jonathan Clem. So I've done over 150 of these interviews and I've yet to have somebody to say that this is the best day of my life. We basically have the inverse office space scenario going on here. Anybody that hasn't seen the movie, just to throw it out there, like the guy says, every day is the worst day of my life. Jonathan Clem comes on the show and he says, every day is the best day of his life. So let's talk about how you develop that mindset. And not only that, but how do you keep it? Yeah, really good question. So, I mean, personally, I, I've had to really be able to become aware. I think there's nothing more important uh, to our success, our happiness than awareness. And what I mean by awareness is being able to think about what we're thinking about, Tim. And, you know, not often are we taking that time to reflect and be able to hear our thoughts, you know, and, and, you know, for a while, for a long time in my life, I was not listening to what people were saying. I was thinking about how I wanted to respond to what they were telling me because I was already thinking in my own thoughts, opposed to being 100% present with who I'm with. And so once I was able to really get an understanding of my presence, my awareness, be able to think about my own thoughts, then I'm able to reflect back on my past and who I was. Uh, you know, growing up, I was very scarcity-minded, uh, self-absorbed, unaware, insecure, you know, all these things um, that are traits that we build as we grow into adults and we don't really realize who we are growing up i mean who we are is exactly that famous quote of we we are the five people we surround ourselves most with so as we're growing up and we're in certain groups of friends if if the friends are selling drugs or i smoked tons of weed when i was growing up why because i was super insecure why? Because I just wasn't taught how to go have conversations with people. And I naturally, you know, would use uh, alcohol, drugs to numb that feeling of insecurity. You know, why do people drink when they go to the bar? Because they're afraid to go walking up to someone and say, hey, how you doing? And and so for me, it, it just took a lot of self-reflection on who I was, why I became, you know, the way I was. And then like the key turning point for me was understanding how I got to be who I was, but then deciding who I want to be in the future. You know, who is Jonathan Clem? You know, it's straight up on my board every time. I'm a man of faith. I love everyone always. I'm always available. I'm a visionary business builder. I'm always willing to help anyone. I'm open-minded. I go with the flow. I'm not perfect, by far not perfect. I'm always learning and growing. I'm a networking connector. I'm a giving, bougie, minimalist billionaire, and I'm a king and I'm chosen. And it's like when you go through that and you understand and define who you are and that stuff starts happening. You know, I'm a big fan of visualization and, and manifestation. And, you know, it just took a lot of self-reflection on, on myself and, and awareness. Like I said, awareness and, and self-discipline to realize who I was and, and, you know, that's realize who I was. So awareness, then start with self-discipline and then you need accountability. 
You know, the, the reason people don't hit their goals is because they don't track them. Why don't they track them? Because they don't want to be held accountable if they don't achieve them. You know, why don't people make cha- people? Why don't people make changes in their life? Because they don't want to reflect back on who they were. They don't want to acknowledge that I was an alcoholic. I was self-absorbed. I was unaware because they're not, you know, I wasn't happy with myself. So it wasn't until I could really discover who I was that I was able to shift my identity into who I'm really supposed to be. Awesome answer, man. I would love to dive into the shyness thing a little bit because I could relate to you pretty heavily there. Um, I think shyness is a label that nobody should ever put on anybody because especially when you're an insecure kid, I think that's a better word because if you're insecure, you could correct that, right? You could just gain security by gaining confidence. When you're shy, that's a label. It's like, oh, I'm shy. So I just don't talk that much. So I think it's a terrible label to put on children. Like if somebody called my daughter shy, which she is insecure, I would just say, no, don't call her shy. Like you're insecure. You need to get out there and gain some confidence and then you will no longer be insecure. So how did your process look? How did you overcome your insecurity? I worked for a tech company and, you know, essentially my job was to go and network. Um, I'm naturally someone who's kind of been an introvert. um, And the more I got out there, you know, the easier it gets. You know, I think Anything we do in life is like riding a bicycle, whether you're playing basketball, you're starting a business, you are working on networking, you're going to be a public speaker. You know, none of us start out perfect at anything we've ever done in life. The people who are experts in every part of their life have trained and practiced and have experience and use the wisdom of other people to, you know, scale and leverage and go faster than anyone else. And so for me, I just knew I had to get out there. I started introducing myself. I actually took a different approach and I would be the guy who would walk up to you right away and be like, hey, I'm Jonathan Clem. I'm with this tech company. Here's what we're about. And, and now I've, at, I've actually completely even reversed that process is, you know, I walk up to someone and I want to know about them. I want to know how I can help them And, you know, that law of reciprocity, I know that, you know, if I can figure out how to help them, that whether they're able to help me or someone else, that that's going to be coming back towards me. Now that you've addressed this insecurity, do you still consider yourself an introvert or do you think you're possibly an insecure extrovert? Well, yeah, I think I always identify as a natural introvert And, and I think that, you know, you have a natural introvert or extrovert based on whether or not you get energy from being around tons of people. So I go to a real estate networking event like last night, you know, there's probably 50 or 60 people there. You know, I go talk to, I can walk up to anyone, you know, 95% of people want someone to come talk to them, but they're too afraid to go talk to someone else. So I just remind myself every time, you know, It's like that person wants someone to come talk to them. You know, I try to pick the person who's actually not talking to anyone and walk up and talk to them because they're the person who who wants someone to come talk to them the most. And so back to what I was saying, I don't get energy from those events. When I get done, I want to go sit on the couch and be by myself. You know, I get energy from, you know, smaller group interactions, one-on-one conversations like this, Tim, I get done and I'm hype. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go do some work after this, uh, opposed to when I get done at a networking event, 
my energy goes down. And so that's how I can kind of, uh, you know, that's how I would define an introvert versus an extrovert on what type of energy you come away from that type of event. Absolutely, man. I'm in 100% agreement. The reason I asked is because I was an insecure extrovert because I do get energy from other people, but I was afraid to talk to people. So it was this weird conundrum where like I, I'd be afraid to go out and talk to people, but like I needed that energy too. So, I mean, it actually became a, a weird thing. <laughs> so that's the reason I asked um, because there are insecure extroverts out there. And I think that's just something that a lot of people just don't know. Like I never would have guessed that I'd be hosting a freaking podcast and having a very public thing, but here I am, right? People grow with time. Well, I think on that same note, like you'll notice, you know, the people who, seem to be extroverts and want to be in the front of the room, you know, they're actually, like you said, some of the most insecure people that they are. Why? Because they need that attention for validation because they're really not authentically happy with themselves. And, you know, and some people who are natural extroverts, they don't need that attention, you know, and to feel validated. But you know, we all know that person in the room who is, you know, waving their hands to get attention. And it's, it, it's, it can be obvious that, that they're needing that validation because they're not, you know, then they're genuine, authentic selves and not genuinely happy, to be honest. Absolutely, man. This has been great stuff. Um, so cool, man. What is your goal for the new year? We just crossed over. We're on January 17th now. What are you guys looking to accomplish this year? So, I mean, my goals are very specific and I have them kind of across the board. I have them in my journal. That's why I was looking down. Um, divided into very specific quadrants. So I have health and nutrition goals. I have spiritual goals. I have personal growth goals, lifestyle and adventure, family and relationships. Um, all very detailed out. And, you know, I've I've found for me the best way to hit my goals is paint paint a bigger vision for myself, but then you know set these annual goals and back those annual goals up into quarterly goals, back those quarterly goals back into weekly or daily goals, and then get accountable. And so I have a, a app on my phone, Habit Share. It's in the lower left corner of my phone. I see it every day, and it pops up and reminds me, hey. Did you pray? Did you intermittent fast? Did you work out? Did you go to bed right? Because that's what I found is the biggest key to starting my day right in the morning is actually going to sleep right. So I used to think, oh, if I have a morning routine and get up early, that's great. What I found this, you know, most recently is if I can go to bed with the right strategy. So I uh, stretch, write down three wins, you know, for my day and then pray. And then when I wake up, I start with gratitude. So uh, one of my favorite quotes is, how do you get everything you want? Well, you want everything you already have. And if how do you want everything you have is you become grateful for everything you have. So if you start your day with gratitude, you know, you, you have no complaints. You have nothing to worry about. Most of us, especially here in the United States, have, you know, food, water, shelter. We have everything we need um, to live a happy life. You know, we just, most of us have wants, we have desires, we have all these materialistic things that have popped up um, that, you know, to be honest, you know, I don't think is good for our culture or our society. Um, so back to your question about, about goals, I have goals across the board. And from a company perspective at Quality Builders, we want to get done, uh, backlogged about 67 projects. So uh, that's a handful of projects. And then we also want to 
basically have that feature built out on our website where we are able to process uh, basically instant, instantaneous estimates where you're able to log on and, and put in these parameters and get an instantaneous estimate. So we're building that technology out as we speak. Uh, we're actually looking to have three new key hires and we're looking to launch into one new market and then completely integrate all of our software, our project management software. So all of that side of it's as automated as possible. Awesome, man. So you are planning to get to a new market. I think you mentioned a couple. So it doesn't sound like you have a firm idea yet, but let's let's get the list of candidates out there just to um, get some curiosity for the audience going. Yeah, so more than likely the, the first market will more than likely be Atlanta. Uh, mainly that's because we have boots on the ground. One of our co-founders is there. And then outside of that, you know, we'll be really taking a deep dive into the analytics of, of different metropolitan areas. You know, Chicago is probably the most dense population of two to four unit buildings, multifamily, uh, which is, you know, the ideal space for a new investor uh, where they can house hack. And so you can think other cities that have that kind of um, small multifamily um, demographics. Um, you could think New York, but no chance we're going to New York for the, the first area, but maybe somewhere around also staying in the Midwest, Cincinnati area would be another good one. I know Austin's not a bad area, um, but you know those are some of the analytics we really have to dive into. Um, but in the present, we're just super hyper-focused about nailing our system and process down here so that we can kind of <clears throat> just plug ourselves in into different areas, just like a McDonald's just grabs new real estate as they open up new brands. Yeah, and, and one of the other benefits of Chicago is you don't have to pay New York prices or L.A. prices, right? So you still get the benefits of the great big city, um, but, you know, the prices aren't as high, but the taxes are pretty high, but whatever. <laughs> um, amazing stuff, Jonathan. If anybody listening wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do so? Yeah, probably the easiest place is to jump on our website. We're at qualitybuilders.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think our handle is Quality Builders Inc. on all those. And then personally, I am Coach Clem. Although I have no coaching clients, but I'm manifesting um, becoming a coach and helping people. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Manifest the coach because it'll come, man. Um, especially if you label yourself one. So you never know. Somebody might see your content and just reach out to you. So um, amazing stuff, Jonathan. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life, into your business. All those links will be down below for the audience to easily locate. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. So commit to taking one action that you learned from today, perhaps be waking up and being grateful every single morning Tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable, as Jonathan said. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one.